Welcome back to Freeze All Motor Functions, a podcast for Westworld newcomers and veterans alike that does not sound like anything to Jared Borslow, who is me, and I'm here with Ross Bolin. Thank you for saying my name correctly, Jared. I really appreciate that. It's good I, to be with you here today. I was going to say it wrong, but I looked at you, and you're looking quite spelt, or as the Italians say, spelto. Again, a, a, a lovely compliment to start the podcast off on the, on the right note. Yeah, I appreciate you, you. You look like you were having a bad day, so I figured I'd come on in and make it all better. Like you looked like you were having a really bad day. I'm having a great day. Fantastic day. Like day. one of the best I've ever had. Really? Yes. Why? I can't tell you. It's personal, but it's just facts. Oh. Okay. That's that's pretty mysterious. You're, you're just going to leave. Everybody's wondering now why your day is... This is I wasn't going to bring it up. This is on you, but it's, it is what it is. Okay. Well... Everybody, we're here in Austin, Texas. Ross is having a great day. I'm having an okay day. It was it was better before I knew how bad it was compared to Ross's. And now I now I just feel like I'm I, not. Yeah, I apologize. I, I know you feel like you live in my shadow, and this is makes it a little harder. The hardest part of living in your shadow is that you're so svelte that your shadow is very skinny. I still don't know what that means, but I'm willing to take it as a compliment. It is. It is, it, it is definitely a compliment, unless you're bulking. If you're trying to bulk, you don't want to be svelte. Are I'm you, not. Uh, do you know what would be great though? Yeah. If we could talk about Westworld instead Let, of my, my figure. Oh, is that what you want to do? It would. Well, I do. That's what I want to do. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we can do that. But first uh, we're going to thank the fans. Oh, the listeners, the, uh, the guests, if you will. Yes. Because just we, like every other week, they're coming through. We are the hosts. They are the guests. And they're great guests. And they're coming through. They're coming, they're coming through, coming through the door. What'd they do? They're sharing it with a friend. I don't know what they're doing, but but we're, our listener count's going up. More people are coming to the Jared and Ross theme park every week. And I feel great about that. It's good good stuff. Growing as, the pod. Growing it. As producer Micah would say, it's truly lit. I, I Okay. But if you want to make it more lit, or maybe even litty, share us with a friend. The friend that you want to watch Westworld with coming up. If they don't watch it yet, say, hey... Watch Westworld. If you think it's confusing, check out this podcast with this guy, Ross Bull, and the Svelte God. You should say that verbatim. Do not say that. I also just want to apologize for the weirdness that is Jared. He can't control himself, and he knows that, and he's, this is how he's decided to live his life. We are currently coming to you on Grand X Labs, the experimental podcast feed from Grand X Media. That's where Ross and I work. It that is. We'll, that we'll be hosting Freeze All Motor Functions until right before season two. That's yeah, we're, we're going to pop this bad boy off on our own channel here in a few weeks, and, and it's going to be nice. Oh, you're finally going to be able to just be like, you know what? Subscribe to Freeze All Motor Functions. You won't even have to say Grand X Labs anymore. You won't even have to explain. It's going to be so nice. But for now, support Grand X Labs, subscribe to Grand X Labs, rate and review Grand X Labs until further notice. Yeah, if you like what we're doing here and you want to have some more stuff in the future on Grand X Labs that you can also like, both literally and figuratively, then... Hit us with a review and a How rating. Do you figuratively, like something. I'm not sure. I okay. said it. I know you. I know what you meant, but it just. I just want you to know that it didn't work. Yeah. I w- okay. I don't know how you say what what you wanted to say though. I don't. I don't I mean, know. Either. Let's not waste time on it. But it's technologically it's a, like. We'll solve that problem another day. Shouts to friend of the show Shannon Woodward, who plays Elsie, who is two for two on quote tweeting our photoshops of her that are done by our intern Serena. I'm still not clear on how I'm missing these, but that's. Awesome news. I put them in our Slack group. She plays Elsie? Yes. Shannon Woodward plays Elsie, and she's two for two on retweeting intern. So if you want to see Elsie interact with us, Elsie is literally interacting with Ross and I via our social media. Come check it out. At Freeze All Motor on Twitter. 
and you can see at Freeze All Motor Functions on Instagram, but Elsie is reacting with us on Twitter. So check that out, at Freeze All Motor, and you can, you can toss that a, a little follow as well. What a great thing that we've got going here. I'm having a good time. If, if we're making a difference in Elsie's in life, then I think we're making a difference in everybody's life. I love Elsie. Great character. Mm. I want to see. I want to see more of Elsie. Let's, 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 let's do it. Yeah, let's 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 do see it. if we can find some Elsie in this episode. Uh, after the hotline calls, of course. Oh, of course, of course. If you want to get in on the Freeze All Motor Functions hotline, then call in to eight 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 six Freeze. You see the the duality I did there. I was gonna say, should we change it to the cold line? Oh, I think we should. Uh-huh. I think we should. Because it's freeze all motor functions. You know? It's cold. like that's yeah. the opposite. Okay, yeah. It's time to freeze, and then we have we have to change our uh, voicemail to where it's no longer you and I speaking. It's just lines from Mister Freeze from uh, Batman Returns or whatever. It's time to freeze. Here's still not how he sounds. <laughs> Here's the cold line. First call. Okay, the first call is from our intern Serena. So when she called in, she said, "Hey guys, it's Serena from L.A. and our intern Serena lives in L.A." I'm confused as to why she didn't just say intern Serena. We're all friends around here. You know what I'm saying, Ross? I do know what you're saying. So, hey, if you're intern Serena, you know, be, don't, you don't have to be humble. You can say, hey, I'm the intern. I'm the one interning and making the pictures that Elsie's interacting with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, no need to be humble around here. Ross, Ross didn't even have a response to that. Okay, here is uh, intern Serena's call. Hey guys, it's Serena from LA. I'm calling in about the maze discussion in last week's episode. You guys posed a few theories and I think they may all be kind of correct and here's why. So Teddy has that whole quote, at the center of the maze, there is a man. So the literal interpretation is if you pull up a picture of the maze, the center looks identical to the human figure in the Westworld logo. But I think it runs a little deeper. So flashback a few episodes where it says that Arnold believed human consciousness was a pyramid and he used that pyramid to design the host's consciousness. Bottom was memory, then improvisation, then self-interest, but supposedly he died before figuring out what goes on top. The man in black is told the maze is not for him. So what if the maze is for hosts, and what's at the center is the missing piece of the pyramid of consciousness? So essentially, Arnold made the maze as a map for the hosts to discover their own consciousness and possibly become fully self-aware, which is why the maze also kind of looks like a brain. This also explains why Teddy describes a version of the maze that's so tailored to his storyline and ties into Jared's theory that the center of the maze is different for each host. That said, Arnold could still be what's at the center, since it seems like his voice is the consciousness that runs through some of these early hosts. Speaking of which, could also explain why the little boy Arnold built to resemble young Ford always asks, are you lost, and is sometimes seen carrying a stick that resembles a shepherd's crook, because he's supposed to be a guide, maybe? Anyway, I know this call got kind of long. One thought kind of kept snowballing into another, but uh, I love the podcast, and keep it up. Thanks. My brain just aches. With the amount of knowledge that was just poured into it, your brain that looks like a maze. What a call from Serena! Yeah, no, now that now that we've heard her call, um, all the idiotic jokes she was trying to make before it make more sense. She was very. This she just said, "This is Serena from California." Yeah, as if she's not in contact with us on a regular basis already, which is funny. Just she should have made the jokes after the call instead of before. So this I, I is just, really just yeah. a lesson to you, Jared, on how comedy works oh. and humor. But you'll get it. You'll get it one day. I I like to think so. Yeah. But that's a that's a lot of information that that like she said was going off of what we said. That you know each she thinks that each uh, maze is tailored to each host. So I'm very down with this uh, 
the maze isn't for you because he's a human thing. Like that seems not debatable to me. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's listen to that call again. She said a lot of stuff that I don't have the time to repeat, but it's all very good stuff. And yeah. I will say, I don't even know if this is intern Serena. That's so important to say. I'm assuming it is. Could it's be another Ser- Serena from California. Serena from LA. Yeah, it you could didn't be. Even check. I didn't. I didn't ask her. I, I kind of just figured we we talk about it on here, and then it'd be kind of funny if it wasn't because she'll be like, "Hey, Jared, that actually wasn't me," and I'll be like, "You know what? Sorry." Wow, what a what a situation you've gotten us into here, Jared, <laughs> as our fearless leader. Wow. So shouts to possibly intern Serena. Here's the next call. Yeah, I truly don't know if that's her or not. That's how it's funny. Uh. Here we go. Hey, guys. This is David from upstate New York again. Uh, Love hearing my call on the show. Thanks for hopefully you're taking my advice. I got a, another little bit, bit of, uh, free of free advice here for you. This is for Ross. Uh, Ross, next time Jared starts mispronouncing these French words like an idiot again, uh you know, maybe give them one per episode or every other episode, a little bit of an allowance. And then after that, take uh, some water and mix it with ammonia and start spraying it at him. Every time he starts saying tabatur or whatever the hell the fuck he was doing. I, I got to admit, I was I laughed the first time. And then after that, I was like, okay, all right, once, once is enough. So just a, just a little bit more free advice for you. So thanks, guys. I'm really enjoying the show so far. Big, uh, long-time member of the Clam Fam. I think I'm. Uh, I, I think I'm fully in on this freeze-all motor function too. So, see ya. We are never gonna live down that goddamn ammonia thing. We're not. And also, again, no, it's just you gotta give Jared's learning. You know, he's learning comedy. It's how my to first make, time. How to make jokes and laughs and humors, and uh, it's it's coming at great pain to to me and to the listeners, but slowly but surely we'll get there and he will no longer be making the idiotic European pronunciation of words joke. I got my life motto from a, uh, it was a commercial that was on MTV at around 1245 PM on Tuesdays when I was in high school. It's the girls gone wild infomercial. Oh yeah. And and they say, it's my first time. I I believe that when it's your first time, you should be given some sort of special preferential treatment. Your life's motto is it's my first time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's your only time dude unless exactly. you're yeah. a hindu it's my this is my first time but it's because my first time you need to give me some slack let me ask you something serious question if if you were analyzing yourself and you had to give a, a, a real answer what do you think you would come back as like in your next life you jared borislow like as a another i think i could see you as a squirrel i'd probably be like that the Wendy's four for four meal. Great, just, just great value. One of them. Yeah, yeah just yeah. one. Just one. You know, I, I, maybe somebody similar to myself would be the one buying it because I'm, I am the target demographic for that. It makes somebody happy. It's, it's cheap. It's really cheap. But like, it makes you happy for a little. I'm bit. gonna say this: the Wendy's nuggets are highly underrated. I don't know why they don't get talked about more. They're good. They're, dude. They're, I think they're very might, good. Might be better than McNuggets. They're very different. I don't want to compare the two. I'm just saying they're very good. Yeah. So. Anyways, it's my first time. Yeah. Next, next call. Hey, guys. This is Lucas from Michigan. Love the podcast. I have a theory as to why little Ford killed Jock. Well, you see, he's sick of Jock chasing after the old family carriage all the time. 
So he comes up with this plan to mix some ammonia and water together. He sprays it in Jock's face. Only thing is, he added way too much ammonia. All right, looking forward to some real theories, guys. Keep up the good work. This, I, this is the last time. This is. <laughs> I'm about to break the answering machine. There will be no more hotline calls because I'm going to spike the answering machine out the window. Cold line. Cold line, excuse me. Okay, that is no the last call line. about Micah's ammonia thing that, that we will be playing, so no need to call in. I mean, yeah. For real, though, no more. Don't call in with that <laughs> shit, please. Enough. God almighty. Uh... Okay. Please tell me that was the last cold line call. That was not the last one. The Damn last, it. The last one is about to make you a lot happier, though. You just get ready. If you are a fan of the other Grand X podcast, notably Backdoor Cover, Touching Base, uh, then you're going to know who this next caller is. Woof, woof. Hello, this is DJ Crime Dog's attorney, Nelson. My client has apologized publicly on Twitter for his indiscretions regarding a ham sandwich reference made by one username at Serena underscore Therese. It is my duty to inform you that, due to this oversight, Mr. Dog has prepared a formal statement. Thanks, V. <clears throat> Bring yourself online. In 1973, Michael Christian concocted Atlanta wannabe rustlers with six guns and deep pockets, but let it be known, Christian couldn't foresee the success of his endeavors in relation to G's until it hit your iTunes for oral consumption. Crank the sound up for freeze all motor function. Hurt! Bowling and J-Bone, getting the show going. One's a pro host and the other's a bozo. Take a trip back in time to the wild, wild west with Cyclops looking sad and Charlotte Hell's breasts. Let the homies break it down with some expert precision, because this shit's still magic even to a magician. Hurt! Freeze All Motor Functions is brought to you by Grand X Media, as are great products at competitive prices on manoutfitters.com. Thank you all for coming. That will be all. DJ Crime Dog has officially made his way to Freeze All Motor Functions. I'm not even going to explain what just happened. I want, it's, if you don't know, you don't know. That was, that was breathtaking. I will say I did ask you, Ross, for a Westworld rap recently, and you didn't deliver, so it looks like we, we got it. We got our Westworld rap. I don't rap. think anybody's beating that, dude. No, but, may, was... but hey, you know, if you want to give some more raps, DJ Crime Dog, Ruff Ruff, my boy, call into the cold line, 888-6-FREEZE. And now it's time for uh, the show that we, that we, that we are, are on. We're going to start? We're going to start the show. Episode 7. We're seven deep. I can't believe it. We are seven deep. Now, uh, guys, I'm going to need a little bit of help here. Uh, just bear with me. The name of this episode uh, is in French. I believe it's Trompe l'Oreille. Ross, thoughts? I, I can't, Jared. I can't do this today. What, can, can you try? Can you give me a... Inter- Let a- me see the words. Trompe l'Oreille. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. I See? It's my first time, but I got it right. Yep. First try. Okay, intern Garrett, as far as the uh, meaning of this goes, gave us a little a little paragraph here. Tron-le-on is a French word for deceive the eye, or French phrase for deceive the eye, which is an art technique that uses realistic imagery to create the optical illusion that the depicted objects exist in three dimensions. Love a good optical illusion. I do too. What I believe the title helps us understand in this episode is the idea of art and the way in which a medium can be manipulated by the artist in a way that is used to deceive the viewer. 
In Westworld, we could quickly see from the beginning of the series how Dr. Ford is an artist. Not only is he apparently smart enough in physics, automation, and other serious science topics that involve artificial intelligence, but he is also an artist who has fallen in love with his medium in which to reflect his inner desires. The way in which the host's loop are, are, loops are poetic, that he makes it where they do their dialogues and parts when there are no guests around, Westworld is Ford's canvas, the host's the paint, and the guests are there to get lost in this illusion Ford has created. I will also say that that's a more meta description. If you're somebody who believes in kind of more base level meanings, I would say that Bernard is obviously the Trump la la. He is decepted. He's deceived all of us uh, viewers into thinking he was a human when in fact he was a, a host. He, he decepted me as well. We've been decepted by Bernard. Indeed. And, uh, and somebody else pointed this out. This is from uh, reddit.com. Somebody said that the painting that Dolores paints on the train uh-huh. employs Trump Leole techniques. Mm. Will you say the real word? Trump Leol. What if somebody listening really wanted to know what the name of the episode was? It's you, you couldn't say it. You couldn't actually say it. Trump Loyal. Tr- I, I truly don't. Do, what do you think it is? Trump Leol. Trump Leol. Leo, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, if you, uh, if you, I have a Spanish degree. Now, if you have a French degree, call in. We want to know how to say this. Yes. I refuse to look it up online. I think you're close, but yeah. I think I am too. Well, let's jump into it. Shall we? Bernard has drifted off while reading The Adventures of Alice in Wonderland to his son, Charlie. We remember this book from Dolores reading it, uh, reading from it during a secret interview. That yeah, it's not the first time we've seen the the Adventures of Alice in Wonderland. Nor the first time we've seen quotes from it. No, there's some very depressing dialogue here about Charlie's feelings towards his own illness. He's it's it's very sad. It's a sad time. It's yes, I agree. I concur. This is sad. Children dying is sad. That is. Uh, now. It gets even sadder because Bernard uh, says to his son, hey, you're perfect. You're going to beat this. Hmm? I promise you. And then Charlie tells Bernard to listen to him. But before he can say anything, he appears to code. And then I assume that's how he died, as we saw from an earlier flashback. He appears to what? Code. What does that mean? It's when you go flat, you flatline, you know? That's he's on coding? the table and he's going to code. And I do not think anyone third eye blind. You kidding me? That's a very common phrase. Code. I've never heard that before. Okay, well, flatline. I, I do not know how it just turned into you singing Third Eye Blind, but I'm amazed. Okay, well, every, all the listeners know what coding means. I don't know, maybe you've never watched Scrubs. I've heard flatlining. I've never heard coding. It's the same thing. You ever heard of slacklining? It's not similar at all. Hey, Jared, let me explain to you why it's better to just say flatlining, because everyone knows what you mean, and when you say coding, it makes it sound like coding, which is another fucking verb entirely. Well, coding has to deal with computers and robots. Maybe that was a double entendre on my part. It wasn't. It's just confusing. He flatlined. And I don't think he even flatlined. We didn't hear a beep. He just fucking passes out. Well, a coding, a coding doesn't necessarily mean a flatline. It's, you know. I'll just say that I was right here. Um, Bernard wakes up. He looks at a photo of him and his son. Uh, and then it cuts to Bernard interviewing Hector Escaton about a blacklisted exchange he had with a guest. Yeah, so what is a blacklisted exchange? The way... It's things you're not allowed to say that, that, that get said? Yeah, so I think that... In this exchange, the exchange involved Hector 
reacting to this guy saying things to him that he shouldn't understand. So wouldn't this be a massive red flag? No, because if you remember, this happens every single trip. Every single guest at one point is going to say to a host, are you real or the real world or something like that? I think all of those are blacklisted exchanges. And then when they are brought in next time, they bring it up to them just to make sure because they do a lot of due diligence okay. you know, at Mesa Hub. That's why you can see that Bernard is really not that he's not freaking out or anything. He's just saying, well, to be fair, though, it is Bernard who this is his reaction is the same to everything. That is true. That is true. Well, so what we know from this is that the guest told Hector he wanted to cut off a piece of him to take home in his carry on carry on got flagged and mounted on the hood of his car car got flagged for his friends to see. Yeah, we see on the monitor that, you know, it says that Hector shouldn't know what these are. Yet he responded to the guy, which right. they want to make sure he didn't know what he was talking about okay, when he responded. Okay, got yeah. you. And Hector's response to the guy was great. He said, I told him if he wanted a trophy, I could cut pieces of him off and let him fish for them in the old veto. Good job, Lee. I think that's a clever line. It is. Hector, just being a badass. Um, he tells Bernard that this exchange didn't make him question anything about his world and that, quote, this world is as doomed as ever. Yes, yeah, so that's Hector's general disposition all the time. Exactly, and Peter Abernathy says something just like that, and it caused him to be decommissioned, but that's because that just goes against everything that Peter Abernathy was programmed to be. Right, this is the way Hector's supposed to look at the world, mm -hmm. that it's doomed. So Bernard's just like, okay, cool. But then, for peace of mind or something he says like that, he shows Hector pictures of futuristic stuff like monorails and yeah, cities. Yeah, a train, a big yeah. shot of a futuristic city. And he wants to see if they look like anything to him. Um, and Hector says they don't, but I'm not ruling out that Hector is lying to Bernard here because he's part of the direct chain. goes Peter to Dolores to Maeve to Hector. You Good know? Point. So I'm not... He, Hector could be lying here. We, we don't know. We don't see anything that gives us that clue that he is. Well, but, and we've been told that this uh, issue with the hosts could lead them to lie or hurt guests mm -hmm. or... Uh, employees. So at this point, I'm not taking any guests or any host. I think that's fair. Especially one who's in the direct line of... Yeah, I think that's fair. ...virality. Yeah. And speaking of virality later on, Hector, uh, maybe he should get himself checked. Probably. Had some unprotected sex later on in the episode. Okay. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, well, I'll tell you right now. A guy comes in and says that they're done with 15% of the backlog... And as it stands, they should be done by end of day. And also that there's a priority request for Hector from management. Oh, that's when he gets boned out by the by Charlotte. head of the board. Yes, yes. So we, at, at the time, we don't know what either of these things mean. 15% of the backlog, priority request. We find out that um, Teresa is mad at Bernard because his team is so far behind and they're right. currently working back up. So he's saying, we got 15% done. We're done by the end of the day. You know, we look good for management. And then he's also saying that Hector is, you know, management wants him. Now, how do you know that Hector didn't wear a condom is my question. Because we never see his penis. I thought Don't accuse that man of unprotected sex. That's a good point. I, I just, I've been thinking a lot about Hector's penis. And, and in those thoughts, I, I just can't see it. Okay, Jim. Hey, I have a drawing if you want to see it. Disturbing. Do you want to see a picture I do? No, that's all right. Okay. Are you sure? I'm pretty positive. Okay. I'm good. Okay, okay. Bernard asks if this guy has seen Elsie, and he says that according to the system, Elsie started her leave today. Very suspicious. Isn't it? How convenient. Why wouldn't Bernard know that? Why is she starting a leave? 
If somebody told me Jared started his leave today, I'd say leave from what? Are you saying I don't do anything? No, I'm saying is is she on vacation? They're they're making it seem like oh yeah we can't contact her she's yeah on vacation she, on leave. I've just never heard anybody say that. Just like I've never heard anybody say they were coding unless they were actually coding like a website or something. Third eye blind. We cut to Westworld. We're back on the train with William, Dolores, and Lawrence. Dolores is harboring a grudge against Lawrence for what he did to them. Yeah. And Lawrence begins to explain himself, and you kind of get on his side here. He says the war going on isn't a war, but rather a slaughter, since the Confederados are fighting farmers armed with rocks. Very uh, mismatched, I would say. Yeah, that's that's not fair. If the Confederados were trying to get nitroglycerin, they you know they didn't end up getting it, but they they were trying to go full nitro against some dudes who have who have pebbles and and maybe like a well, a slingshot. Just unnecessary. It, it's it's just you're like okay. Now, the amazing point that uh, Elazo Lawrence makes is that he met William and Dolores while they were trying to join up with the Confederados. So he, he's like, I, why would I trust? Like, I know you don't trust me, but like, you're the bad guys. Oh, he has a, no, he's flawless logic here. He said, if I had to do it over again, I'd fuck you both over just as hard. Yep. <laughs> and I, I thought that uh, it, it, makes, it does make William and Dolores look like big shitbags. If you look at it from Lawrence's point of view. Well, yeah, they're just kind of riding in, do like making it all about them when you know he's there having actual struggles. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna stop right quick, real right here. Uh, I really want Wendy's chicken nuggets right now. Cut the check, Wendy's. Say it, Ross. No. Okay. Well, that's no fun. I, I'm sure all, all our listeners want Wendy's chicken nuggets as well. What are you doing? Are you I, trying I, to get us sponsored by Wendy's right now? I, I just slipped it in there. It's okay. William says that it wasn't their idea to do this whole thing with the war and the Confederados, and that they were following their friend who wanted to see what was at the end of all this. Yeah. Lawrence, Logan. Lawrence jumps in with this cryptic line that may or may not be maze-related. You, you have to read into it as you so please. He says, and yet here you are. Your friend didn't make it this far. Maybe you've got more an appetite for this than you think. Yeah, and I mean, look, I get what he's insinuating, but it just doesn't seem like fair. They've taken one step, you know what I mean? Like, they're on yeah. the train still. So it's yeah. not like William is, like, off, you know? And I guess I don't really mean maze so much as I mean finding a deeper level of the park. Because we don't, I mean, obviously, William, there's no maze for William. He's a, he's a... Not if we're correct. He's a guest. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, if the maze truly isn't meant for humans, then he... he so he's... He's on a journey as well. If all the hosts are on a journey to find the center of the maze, he's on this journey with Logan to find as far as you can go in the park without being a host. Okay. Does that make sense? If all that, yeah, you're assuming a lot, but yeah, sure. I am assuming quite a bit. You are. And you kind of have to because you have to make your own reality up and then see if the show meets it. Yeah, that's fair. That's, That's how I look at it. Yeah, I just don't like... I mean, as far as every host, every host being, I just don't know about that. That that, that was a leap. That was that was a bound. I will say, but that's that's how I believe the show. Everybody, no, everybody that, no, has their own fair. theories. I'm just making sure that people understand. Yes, it's an opinion. That is an opinion, man. Dave's not here. Yeah, Dolores, looking out the window, sees heads on pikes, and freaks out. Yeah. When's the last time you saw a head on a pike, Ross? 
Uh, probably watching Game of Thrones. Would you ever want your head on a pike? Yeah, I don't. I don't see why not. I mean, it gives you a little bit more afterlife. You mm-hmm. know, some afterglow after you're uh, after you're dead. You just uh, people have to look at you. Yeah. Nobody looks at me right now. I tell you. How do you think they cast people to have their heads cut off and stuck on pikes for this? Like, do you think people are just like, eh, you know, I want to be, I want to be famous, leave a legacy? What do you mean? Like, how do they cast people to kill, chop their head off, and then stick their head on the pike? I don't know. Famously, Game of Thrones in the first scene where where Sansa is forced to look at Ned Stark's head on a pike, George W. Bush's head is on a pike right behind his. Uh, because did, they just had an extra George W. Bush head, apparently, and people were very pissed off about did, that. Did not know that. That's yeah. Google it. Wow. If you want more Game of Thrones commentary, go to Ross's uh, Game of Thrones podcast, Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. Yeah. So Lawrence says that uh, the reason why there are heads on pikes that may freak you out is because they are in Ghost Nation territory. I hate this name, Ghost Nation. Mm-hmm. It just comes off as too much like a. Tom Clancy Rainbow Six video game or some shit. Yeah, I I, I think they they got a little lazy. I, I don't know if that was Lee or who or who put those in place. Every time it gets brought up, I'm just like, eh. I mean, obviously we see they're called Ghost Nation because they paint themselves white in battle. Yeah. Okay. But it that just bugs me. Yeah. I don't know why. I feel you on that. But they're in Ghost Nation territory nonetheless. He says they're the most savage tribe there is, and that what they do to uninvited folks is pike them up. Stick the head on the pike. Yes, sir. William points out that they are, in fact, uninvited folks. They are, in fact, uninvited. They're on a train just barreling through their territory. So Lawrence just pulls down this awesome train armor. Yeah, good thing they had that. Is that a thing? It's like James Bond-ish, but I'm not sure why they had it in the Wild West. Is that is that a, is that always been a thing, train armor? I don't know. I don't buy that that was a common thing in the West. Is that like the original Brinks armored car was just an armored train car? Yeah, why not I just have it pulled down all the time? I don't understand. Like, you knew you were going to ride through Ghost Nation territory, but yeah. you just waited until you were there to pull down the armor? Maybe it's, they maybe they wanted to be able to look out the windows more and have a better view of the beautiful scenery. Right. I, I'm going to stick with that. I think, I think that's got to be what it is. Okay. We learned that the train is the only way through this territory without dying in under an hour. Very, very efficient, the Ghost Nation is. Yes. One hour or less, or your murder is not happening, I suppose makes sense uh and after they're through ghost nation they'll proceed on foot into nothing here on out but slaughter (laughs) also promising uh this is a lovely journey so hey we're gonna we're gonna go through this nation this this whole area where you'll be beheaded if you encounter anybody and if we make it through uh there's only murder that's it slaughter as far as the eye can see that's it nothing else i don't i don't know if you signed up for this but you're here and the rest of your life is slaughter. How does that not sound appealing? I just It just sounds like a hell of a vacation. Now, I have a theory about Ghost Nation territory as a whole. I think that maybe it's not involved with a storyline at all, but rather used as a means of blocking and cordoning off parts of the park that are under construction or off-limits to guests. I like that. That, that would make a lot of sense because they need to have some method for doing that. Yeah. And Ghost Nation seems to get brought up enough to where that would make sense. Yeah, that, that's just my little my little guess. Yeah. So I don't know if Ford's in control of it or Command Center, but I mean Ford's in control of everything, as we'll talk about later. So maybe we'll find that out at some point. I don't know. I just I was thinking about that. I was like, there has to be there's a reason for everything. There has to be a reason for Ghost Nation. Right. We cut back to the Mesa Hub, 
Bernard is attempting to contact Elsie, whose disappearance is uh, suspicious to him, given the timing, to say the least. Hey, yeah, we're about he to, can't we're, get a hold of her. He's like, hey, we're about to bring the whole company down, uh, and then she's gone. Yeah. He meets up with Teresa, uh, who we know wanted to see him. Before he talks to her, he has this very ominous stare down with her through a window before he goes in, which to me makes it a very tense conversation. That, that, that eye contact they had, it was very spurned lover-esque, but also like accusatory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, they've got both of those things going on, so that makes sense. It's, it's the way that I saw you look at your wife in your wedding photos. Oh, okay. They're, like, like there's on the surface, like there's something going on, but deep, deep down, there's, there's really a second layer. And I hope to one day find out what it is. Uh-huh. I'm on to you, Ross. No, amaze isn't for you. <laughs> we learned that Bernard left abruptly during their last conversation and that they didn't actually have any real conversation after Bernard hung up the phone with Elsie. Because remember, we cut right out of that. He hung up on Elsie. We never saw the rest of his conversation with Teresa. And now we know. He, he just stomped out of the room. He st- I don't know if he said maybe a little thing, but he just left. He just, she's like, uh, we ended it kind of abruptly. He says, nope, there was nothing more that I had to say. Um, and then Teresa points out that Charlotte is looking over every department and his is running behind. Like we talked about earlier, how he was in the middle of catching up. Right. She said it would be best if we presented at least a semblance of professionalism while the board is here. Teresa is so unbelievably hard to like. She's very condescending at all times. Um, and if you think like me and Ross, that she's a, that she's just annoying, you're going to love this episode. They know. They watched it already. No, no, no. They're going to love it. Yeah, guys, you wait for the big reveal later. Okay. It's, 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 it's big. Teresa calls out Bernard's team for second-guessing her team's investigation, and Bernard assures her that that's all over. It's totally fine, which we know it's not. This whole system of checks and balances and teams and all this that they've got set up here at Westworld is very bad. Very bad. How would you do it? Differently. In what way? I can't tell you that. More of an oligarchy? Yeah. I like that. I also like, I think they should run it as a democracy where every single decision is decided by a Google poll. Okay. Interesting strategy. Mm -hmm. Thought. I would just, sometimes I like sit back and kind of try to make, you know, places better with some, with some ideas. Maybe like, I was thinking of maybe running for... Some sort of office. So what do you think? You high? No. Okay. Blazing Saddles is your segment, Ross. That's true. It's yours. Is that going to happen? Yeah, we need to do that next week. So we're doing we're doing Blazing Saddles officially. Yeah, let's say officially. I'll watch the episode high, and then I'll all my notes will be stoned, and Blazing Saddles will be next week. Okay. I'll share my segment. I'll share my uh, my thoughts on the episode. <laughs> In one segment, one concise segment called Blazing Saddles. Cannot wait. Get ready, everybody, because Blazing Saddles is coming at you next week. It's going to be lit. It is not, it is not going to be lit. Liddy. Um, Bernard and Teresa exchanged a couple weird, awkward ex-lover lines, and then, and then came one of the most interesting shots in the show, personally. It looks like we're going to be getting back to an inside the park storyline because we see this transition shot of what, you know, Western scenery and it pans around. Maybe we're going to see Man in, Man, in, Man in Black. Maybe we're going to see Man in Black and Teddy. Maybe it's William. Maybe Logan. Where the fuck's Logan? I miss him. 
I miss him a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's still being held captive. But then we see that the, that the big plateau has windows and shit on it, and it's just the outside of a lower part of the Mesa Hub. Right. And it goes right back to the Teresa storyline. So to me, this was significant in telling us that this is going to be a episode that focuses on the inner workings of the park and not more inside the park It was a park very stuff. cool shot, the entire, that whole view of the Mesa Hub uh, on that cliffside or whatever you want to call that thing was gorgeous. I, our new office is going to be great. It's very similar to the Mesa Hub. People have compared the layout, yeah, to that of the Mesa Hub. If you want a tour, you can schedule one with at Michael Wiener on Twitter. Uh, Venmo him $50, and he'll take you on a guided tour of our new office yep. starting next week. It is known. He's very good. Um, he knows a lot about the history of the building. Teresa walks over to a door, uh, hears a lot of sex noises. Ross, can you explain sex noises to the listener? Uh, yeah, they're noises that are emitted when two people are making the fuck. When two people love each other very much. That's what I said. Yeah, true. Uh, Teresa very much so interrupts this. Yeah, she knocks anyway, and uh, Charlotte answers the door. We, we get a shot of uh, Hector handcuffed i guess or hog tied or something to the bed oh his hog wasn't tied we couldn't see his hog oh yeah uh but it's weird because i mean this concept the concept that a the head of the board would come down to the mesa hub and then secure a what is essentially a robot prostitute for herself is weird and then answer the door to her business meeting like naked. she like shows it off naked yeah what what does that say? Is that a power move from Charlotte? What does that say about the inner workings of this company? <laughs> that you can answer a door for a business meeting completely naked. Yeah, that's what I'm having a hard time. Um, I I mean, because as we see the way this scene unfolds, like Charlotte is very much about power moves and big timing, and she thinks she's like this corporate head honcho. She's like, none of this shit here really matters. We don't give a fuck about any of this. It's the data that we're after, whatever. But I don't really know. It just seems, even if all the things that she's trying to convey are the things that she's trying to convey, a weird way to go about it by being like, yeah, look at me shamelessly banging this robot. Why why, why you need to share that with her, with Teresa? I don't know. Because obviously if Charlotte called this meeting, she knew exactly who was at the door. Yeah. So, so weird. And she like smokes one of her cigarettes. She's like just trying to give off bad girl vibes. It's oh, weird. yeah. And this whole meeting was so insane with probably two of the least likable, like. Oh, I like Charlotte. Okay. Charlotte's horrible. Horribly awesome. Okay. Let's, let's talk about this. Charlotte says the board is impressed with Teresa's performance, but is worried about the whole woodcutter situation and Ford taking over a much of the park for his narrative. Charlotte says that the people who work at Westworld are nothing. And that Delos's interest in the place is entirely in the intellectual property, the code. Tess, I said Tessa, that's funny. That's uh, Tessa Thompson plays Charlotte. Uh, yes. Charlotte doesn't care about the hosts. The storylines, they don't give a shit. It's their research project, which is where the real value is for Delos. And due to a lack of foresight on part of one of Charlotte's predecessors at Delos, 35 years of raw information exists solely in the park. Right. Which, what does that mean, Jared? Will you explain it? 35 years of raw information? Yeah. So as we find out later on as well, Ford has never let any of the information in the park, any of the information about the hosts, about you know them being lifelike or any of their experiences, it's never left the park. Right. 
Besides, presumably, during Teresa's satellite, you know, little transmissions with the woodcutter. Sure, yeah. So besides those, it's all in the park. And, so and he's we, played all of it so close to the chest for the sake of maintaining a power balance between himself and these corporate drones. Exactly. Ford, smart, smart man. Ford's very smart. Cause if, if, as we know right now, if he didn't do that, he'd already be out. He'd be out. Yep. So he's Ford has been very calculating and know, knew all this. And as we find out later, the board does this. They try to test him. They try to, they try to make him. They're like, you know what? It's been a little bit. Maybe, maybe he'll give it up. Now. Maybe he'll be down to leave. Yeah. And, and he never, never, never is. Yeah, it's bizarre. This that when he explains that. Charlotte uh, has a couple of the backhanded compliments of the century. She says to Teresa, you are a smart enough woman. Very rude of, of Charlotte. And then, I like you. Well, not personally, but I like you for this job. Why was that necessary? It wasn't. It, none of this, none of what she does here from the second she opens the door is necessary. It's all... Totally over the top for reasons unbeknownst to me. I don't understand why Teresa and Charlotte think they are good at uh, being managers of people. They're terrible. So bad. Yeah, I don't get it. I really don't. What we find out from this conversation is that Charlotte wants Teresa to have a contingency plan in place by the time the rest of the board arrives in case Ford reacts badly to his forced retirement and deletes all the raw information in the park. Charlotte wants a blood sacrifice to prove just how dangerous Ford's creations can be. Nothing obvious, though. Something thoroughly unexpected. Then we cut away. So, is it to be, like, was this meeting before? Because is the, is the measure that, that she takes the woodcutter? No. The measure that she takes is getting Clementine to go crazy on that host acting okay. as a human. That's the blood sacrifice? That, the blood sacrifice is the host acting as a human. But the contingency plan that she references, like, isn't the woodcutter thing, wasn't that the contingency plan? That is what I was thinking too. So that is definitely part of the contingency plan, like of of making sure Ford doesn't delete everything on his way out. Yes. Now, I don't... That was before, right? Like, they were already doing that. They were already doing that, but it got stopped. But, well, technically, we don't really know... Teresa, at this point, doesn't know that, you know, they found out about it, but they know that the woodcutter died so that he's not sending any more stuff out. I guess the idea is that there could be more people like the woodcutter in there sending information out, but obviously, at this point, they have nowhere near enough information to make Charlotte feel safe about it you know okay so yeah so i actually don't really know what the furthering of the ability the saving all the information in the park is okay can do you see anything like that in this episode no no that's why i'm asking hmm interesting so if you if you do if you do know what's up if you know you know what the other part of the contingency plan was call into our cold line 888-6 freeze we cut to mave in the park it's a normal loop for her until she walks into uh, the Mariposa and pissed off at the player piano music, just slams it, shuts it, shuts it down. And that made the entire scene very, very ominous, the, the silence of it all. Yeah, it's weird being there and not having that piano. I, I kind of started liking the piano music. 
And then her conversation with uh, Clementine is weird, too. It she was. She starts to realize that she's saying scripted things, basically. Mm-hmm. Which, which we've seen happen before, where the, the hosts, like, they catch themselves because they're like, wait, I remember what I'm saying right now. Well, this is even more than that, though, because she's just been shown on the pad how it's predetermined what she says, so you can almost see her seeing the pad in her mind like yeah. as she's saying a sentence to Clementine. It's eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, they're talking to each other, and Maeve asks Clementine if she's ever had a nightmare in which she's somebody else, to which Clementine replies, I don't think so. Why? And so it seems like, you know, at this point that Clementine's not been affected. Like, she reacted kind of like, don't know what that is, question it, maybe because I feel like maybe the hosts are programmed to question things like that to maybe get diagnostics on it so they can, if they realize Maeve was messed up, they could look at Clementine and, like, go back through that conversation log. Right. And then Maeve asks Clementine if she ever thought about whether this is really the life she wanted. And rather than answering that on like a deeper level, she treats it as Maeve asking her whether being a prostitute is the life she's always wanted. Which is, I'm sure, something she's completely programmed to say, you know, from I'm sure every single prostitute host has that answer programmed in just as something that might come up in conversation with another host or maybe a guest. Yeah, Maeve's just kind of like poking and prodding here. Not getting anywhere. <coughs> was that a prostitute joke? Poking and prodding? It was not. No no pun or prostitution you, intended. Now that we look back at it, are you going to declare it a prostitution joke? No, I'm not. That's, uh, you're, that's a missed opportunity right there, I will say. Then everything around Maeve and Clementine completely freezes. All the motor functions of everybody around have been frozen. They're frozen. And Maeve's not, though. She is now disregarding the blanket, freeze-all-motor functions commands that are sent in by corporate. And if you are Maeve here, you just got thrown into a impromptu mannequin challenge. Basically, yeah. That's. I mean, she's not very good at it either. She, she's really not. Everybody around her is very good. I imagine it's, it's what would happen if we did a freeze-all-motor functions mannequin challenge. Me and Micah would just freeze the fuck up, and then you would be like kind of shaking and like quivering and stuff because you're like, I wish I was as good as Jared and Micah, man. Um... I have a question. So, how come freeze all motor functions, or I guess nobody says it, but somebody presses on the pad or whatever? Like Clementine is controllable here, but not later. Like later on, when somebody says freeze all motor functions, I believe it's we find out that that's because um, everybody that whole thing was a complete sham. As Bernard points out to Teresa, you did a ho- that was all human intervention. The humans programmed her to disregard it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But and he, and. You know, Bernard has a line where he says, if I could see right through it, yeah, just, I forgot think about what, that. For, just think what Ford was thinking. I forgot about that, yeah. So they've just gone in and manually programmed her to disregard that. They took out the line of her code. They were trying to use her as an example for what these reveries did to the hosts and, and went in and programmed her to, yes. to fit those circumstances perfectly. Yeah. Okay. Um, the spacesuit men walk in, still forget what they're called, which I think is a kind of a funny little running thing. Do you remember? No. I'm not even, it's like the, the day, the, let's, let's make up a name for them. The day walkers. Day walkers. No. no. Well, those guys, they walk in and they talk about how they're supposed to grab the one at the bar, which is where Maeve is, mm-hmm. prompting her to grab a knife. You're like, oh shit. It's me. I'm having these weird thoughts. I'm not, I'm not frozen. The spacesuit boys say, whatever she did, it must have been serious or they're making us grab her in broad daylight, which again, we still assume it's going to be Maeve. 
Yeah, they drop a line about like needing to get her out of there before the hosts finish up upstairs or whatever. The mm-hmm. guests, rather, um, that are having sex with hookers. It's very strange. Like this is kind. Of, this is the part of the existence of the park that I had the most trouble understanding is how they get people in and out so much without it ruining the experience for the guests. And this didn't help. Yeah, they, they seem to make it seem like this is not common. It's very uncommon and only in major circumstances where they come in during a whole entire trip for right. somebody. So they come on in. Um, it ends up being Clementine, not Maeve. Um, they, they take her out and everything unfreezes. Maeve gets this look on her face that is very terrifying and lets us know that some shit's about to go down. This uh, She has 20 bulk apperception, if you remember correctly. Yes, yeah, she's very pissed. The she's very apperceptive in a bulk fashion, you could say. Indeed. And here's where we're gonna take our first break. Hey guys, we're back to tell you about our favorite and only sponsor, Fulton and Rourke, a men's grooming company built around fragrance and function and motor functions that are frozen. Getting ready should be one of the best parts of your day. Each of Fulton and Rourke's products are designed to make getting ready less of a boring routine that you just do every day and hate, and more of an enjoyable ritual, if you will. Their solid wax-based colognes, which I own and are amazing, perform just as well as traditional sprays, but they come in a metal case that makes them perfect for travel, the locker room. They even fit in the pocket of your favorite jeans and khakis and shorts and any other pocketed pants that you wear. If you're looking for a fragrance suggestion, Fulton and Rourke recommends Clearwater. I'm actually from Clearwater, Florida, so I, I can get behind that. Notes of fresh water and oak moss are complemented with hints of wood and clean citrus. Mm. All of those are great smelling things. Those are good things. And when you combine them, they smell even better. This is a great cologne for spring and summer, so you can get it now. And it's a great time to have it, you know? You, you can use it for, for quite a while. Smell good for two seasons, Jared. Multi-season fragrance is what we stand for here at Freeze All Motor Functions. Yes. And it's what you're going to get with Fulton and Rourke. Clearwater, specifically. Their long-lasting bar soap, as well, is a great-smelling giant brick of excellence. It's formulated with a blend of Moroccan red clay Ooh. and oats. Mm. Dope soap. Dope soap, says producer Micah. It's designed to gently exfoliate, while the combination of eucalyptus, white spruce, and sage nourish your skin, whether you use a washcloth, washcloth or not. I feel cleaner just hearing you read those words. I feel like I'm sitting next to a babbling brook all Fulton and Rourke's products come with a 30-day, no-questions-asked returns policy, which is my favorite kind of returns policy. I don't want people prying into my business. If I don't like it, I don't like it. I don't but want, you will I don't like want it. questions either. You don't, you don't like what? Questions. No questions for you? That is correct, sir. You just answered a question. Well, good job, Ross. You really messed that one up. So, 30-day, no-questions-asked returns policy, and the reason is because they know you're going to love it. You're not going to want to return it. You're going to actually want to buy more. And if you do buy the first time or more, you should use our promo code for 15% off your total purchase. That is freeze is the promo code. Go to Fulton and Rourke. That's R-O-A-R-K dot com and use the code freeze at checkout to receive 15% off your total purchase. Fulton and Rourke dot com. I use it. I love it. Ross loves it. Michael loves it. You'll love it. Okay, we're back. We cut back to Westworld and the long black train coming down the line that is feeding off the souls that are lost and crying. Those are William and Dolores' souls. Tales of sin, only evil remains. What just, What is happening? Those are the confederados, the evil. Uh, watch out, brother, for that long black train. I think Josh Turner predicted this train ride 
through Westworld and Ghost Nation territory in his hit 2003 song Long Black Train. Thoughts? I I don't have a response to you. I, I'm a big Josh Turner fan. Maybe I'm reaching here because I just wanted to incorporate Josh Turner in some way. Um, probably the best country artist that there is, Josh Turner. Maybe uh, I'm reaching here. Understatement of the century. <laughs> I will say, though, it's actually a very short train. It's like four, it's like four cars long. So It's also not black. Uh, there are black aspects of it. I, I, I will say, I would venture to say that that one part is true. It is black. But on this long or short black train, William and Dolores have a heart-to-heart. He asks her how she's so sure this place she's looking for exists. And she says, I'm not, I'm not sure that it does. What, a, what This whole conversation with them two didn't really seem to have any, like, what place? What is he asking about? What, what, what is the precedent for this conversation? Did she at one point reference that she was trying to find a place? Uh, I think it just means that in general, like what you're looking for. Oh, okay. Like she's trying to, I mean, she hasn't said yet. Like, you know, she drew that. Well, he said, what if this place you're looking for doesn't exist? That question doesn't make sense unless she specifically referenced a place. I feel like in the past she said, well, we know that with Teddy, she talked about, you know, where the ocean or the sea meets the mountains or whatever. Could be that. And she said she wanted to go there back then. Sure. Could be that. Um, and then also you just have her saying she doesn't know where she's going. So maybe maybe as he's saying like the place you're, tr- you're trying to go to that you don't even know about. How do you know it even exists? Even though you don't, you don't even know about it. How do you even know it exists? Maybe something like that. Okay. Dolores then flips the script and asks William what he's looking for. Since he could have gone back before this whole excursion on the train. Just left you know Logan and Pariah and just gotten out of there. And he has this unbelievably nerdy-ass response about wanting to live in books. Yeah, this is, I think, kind of the final straw for me with William this episode. Think about what he's doing here. He has, he has gone to the coolest theme park in the world with his soon-to-be brother-in-law. He has then developed feelings for an artificially intelligent woman, ditched his actual human brother-in-law and decided to run away with said artificial intelligent woman who he then opens up to about how he wanted to live in books. The dude sucks. There, uh, yeah. He's, he's technically... Think about this, Jared. If you and me went to Westworld and I came back and I was like, yeah, you know, we had fun the first couple days, but then Jared went full fucking psycho on me and joined the robots. (laughs) He just never came back. He yeah. fell in love with a robot. Just People ran- would be like, God damn, Jared really went off the deep end. Yeah. That's true. I mean, he, uh, William is technically the protagonist of this TV show, which is just sad. Somebody brought something up to me. No matter how well they clean these robots, no matter how well they, you're essentially using a used fleshlight when you have sex with one of them. Valid. Which is disgusting. Well, don't knock it till you try it. Okay. Dolores says she doesn't want to just be a character in a story like William is making her with his book shit. And that she wants to be able to live in the moment without looking forward or backward. She then leans in, possibly for a kiss, which causes William to tell her about Juliet, Logan's sister, 
whose dad owns the company where he works, who he is marrying when he when we, he returns home. So now we know that Logan's dad and Juliet's dad owns Delos is is the owner. Yes. So that's that's how connected this man is. Got to imagine. What? Ross's robot phone is talking during our podcast. Scary. My Siri just said that's what I thought. That's fucking crazy. I don't know what that means. That was weird as shit. That, okay. In an Australian accent, too. Micah, is your house haunted by any chance? Still doesn't have a microphone, Jared. Well, I also am wondering, does your phone typically have an Australian accent? Jared, I know you have ADD, but just continue. Okay, sorry. Um, Dolores seems genuinely upset by William saying that he's got somebody back home. It does very much so seem like she's in love with him. And I have to imagine a normal host can't fall so in love with a guest like that. Like, they shouldn't be able to do that. Or counterpoint, this love is something programmed into the hosts to keep people coming back for more every single time to come to Westworld. Because, uh... It's it's very hard to make sense of their conversations, their feelings, whatever. Because she's not even supposed to have feelings. Like, how could an it, it just? We don't know what's lot. programmed. It's a, it's a lot to unpack. It is. And William says, you know, the place you're after, I will help you find it, but I can't stay. I have a life waiting for me. Dolores says, of course, and storms out. And it looks like this love has taken its toll on Dolores. William said goodbye too many times before. It's a Maroon Five reference. I hate you. That's. All I have to say. William chases after Dolores and finds her crying, sadly, in the, in the back of the train. The, yeah, the, so is this for real or not? Her crying? Because she's a robot. She's a robot, yeah. You have to decide if, if these feelings are stuff she's programmed to have or these are things she's actually having. Okay. I, I have no idea. As we learned in the past, when I say my opinions, uh, you lambast them. As of right now, I'm on the side of she's playing him like a fiddle. Oh. And you, you think this is just the kind of... She's creating this love to make him keep coming back to the park? Mm, make him obsessed no, with it? No, no. Not even necessarily like as a as a uh, tool of the of Delos and Westworld as a whole. I think she, as a an individual AI who has spawned... Um, what do you call it? What is it that she now has? Uh, sentience? Whatever. She's. I think she's playing him for her own needs, for her own reasons. Do you think she's using William and his yes. ability to not be killed in the park? Yes. To get further and further into, the, into this maze? Yes. Interesting. Because, I mean, yeah, he literally... It's like if you have never played Fortnite before and you get in a duo game with a dude who is the number one player in the world. You can, you can die in the first second. You can stay on the bus too long and die on the bus, and this guy is still going to get you the win. Like Dolores can just coast if she's with William because he can't die. He can kill anybody who tries to kill her, and he is, as, right. we, as we see. Very interesting that you brought Fortnite into this, Ross. Yeah, I know. I, I tried to bring it into every... You brought it in, Jared. <laughs> uh, true. Uh, so William, you know, finds Dolores crying and says, I've been pretending my whole life, pretending I don't mind, pretending I belong. My life's built on it. And it's a good life. It's a life I've always wanted. But then I came here and I get a glimpse for a second of a life in which I don't have to pretend, a life in which I can be truly alive. How can I go back to pretending when I know what this feels like? They make out and presumably bang out. And it seems like William is truly 100% into this experience now. Like, like we were saying, he... He is fully on the side of the robots. Humans, humans be gone. 
Right. I have nothing further to add to that, Your Honor. You you think that I was very concise and just... I thought you were poignant. What? You heard me. Okay. I will note that William, uh, you, sir, are still pretending right now. You're actually pretending more than ever since you're in a completely pretend scenario in a pretend world. You mental midget, you are dumb. That's what I have in my notes. Okay, yeah, I'm just going to stick with that because none of this makes any fucking sense. I do not, I'm going to be honest, I don't like the scenes with William and Dolores that are supposed to be emotional. Just like I didn't like the scenes with Dolores and Teddy. Because they're, at least one of them is a robot. You know what I mean? Like, again, why do I care? This is phony, fake, silly. You just just can't get into the the whole love aspect. Between man and machine? Yeah. No, Jared, I can't. Can you? If you've never gotten sexually aroused by a bulldozer or maybe maybe a steamroller, what? <laughs> then something's wrong with a you, my roller. friend. A steamroller. I was I was trying to think in my head. I was like, what's that? What's that thing that you hear about when you're four and you never see one of in your entire life? It's a steamroller. Yeah. <laughs> I only saw it in Austin Powers. It's the only steamroller I remember. No. <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> Uh, that's a good scene. Cut back to the Mesa Hub, where we see Charlotte and Ford in the same scene. So we know shit is going down. Big time. Are you yelling timber? You better move. That's, Jared, we're not doing it further. It's just, leave it as it is. Okay, I'm sorry. This starts off super tense, this whole, this whole scene. uh, As Ford makes a sarcastic and so witty, I didn't catch it, almost, Remark about Charlotte, who was looking at her reflection in one of the glass panels. He says, Miss Hale, I wasn't aware that those with your level of insight needed any more reflection. Yeah, he's very smart. He's saying, you, I didn't realize somebody who was uh, so all-knowing and smart needed to reflect anymore. Right. Like, dude, if somebody ever insulted me like that, I, I, would, I would have no comeback. Because nothing I'd say could be as smart as that. But everyone in this world is very mean yeah that's very true it's i mean maybe it's one of those things where they've they're all cynical because they know how all of these people are assholes all of them yes they're all cynical because of what they've seen for sure it's like being a cop how it fucks with you you know who do you think is the nicest character we've seen so far in the show the nicest human character and eh, yeah human let's say human that we think is human at least elsie Probably. No, she doesn't care about Teresa at all, though. Well, I guess Teresa Teresa's does suck. kind of a C-U-N-T. Maybe Ashley Stubbs. He's a nice guy. Seems like a nice guy. Yeah, a little paranoid, but like maybe... maybe Rightfully so. Maybe with Foundation, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, William's a pretty nice guy. Oh, I hate to say it. He's a loser. I'm going to say right now, the nicest guy we've seen is the guy who comes up and thanks the man in black in episode like three. There you go. It's him. He's that, a nice guy. solved it. Now, he gets... Threatened with murder uh, for being who he is, but that you know, don't let the don't let the man in black bring you down. Doesn't that pay was, that to was be nice? No, no, especially in this show. Um, and then you know, Charlotte responds, "Doctor Ford, always charming." Bernard walks in, completely unaware of what's going on, and Ford remarks that Teresa and Charlotte have a presentation for them about QA's worrisome findings. And uh, they say it's a quite disturbing finding. And here's the presentation. They have Clementine in a room, and they have a host 
acting like a human. So the host in Clementine's mind is a human. It registers as human to her. Yeah. So, you know, they he just beats the shit out of Clementine, this host. And then they reset the host and they reset Clementine. And Which, wiping her memory. You know, wiping her memory. And we see on her walk back that she's still crying about getting beaten up. She still has some level of that emotion on her face, yes. Yeah, like literally a tear runs down her face. And this is a real tear. I watched it unlike, unlike that last tear at Teargate. Yeah, I forgot about Teargate. We both were right there, but I'm right here. It was There was a tear. And then uh, they restart the whole scene again, but this time Clementine, knowing that this guy is about to beat the shit out of her, beats the shit out of him and smashes his head into the window. And then Ashley Stubbs comes in to tell her to freeze all motor functions, and she's not freezing any motor functions whatsoever. So he has to shoot her. And she's like tasting her own blood and shit. And so Ashley Stubbs is just like, okay, good night, Clementine. Yeah, so the point is that if she had been put in a situation with a host, with a uh, guest rather, she would have killed them. Yeah, that's... That she... Deadly, off her loop... Not obeying orders. Yeah, pr- the primal or the you know the the big the big code, the the prime. What do they call it again? The prime directive. Yeah, the prime directives. The primary primary is, rule set. It's the yeah, primary rule set. She is completely off this. So Teresa explains that malfunctioning hosts were not resetting properly and were and were retaining data that should have been wiped. That now, data. Okay, but I have a question. Real yes, quick. yes, yes, yes. We know that they set this up with Clementine, as you explained earlier, so that it would unfold as it does mm-hmm. for the sake of show. This is the blood sacrifice, but it's also based on truth. Yeah. This is the extreme, based on what they've seen so far, this is the extreme of what could what happen. What could happen, like, hypothetically? Yeah. Okay, I got they, Well, they already know, they already know that there are hosts that are not freezing motor functions when told to do so. Okay. They know that from the woodcutter. Oh yeah, he, yeah. he didn't he didn't freeze right. the, mo- the the functions of his of his motor. Right. So they know that, and then then it just comes down to killing somebody, and they're just they're just making a leap now. They're going off of let's say, uh, oh man, who is the guy who who killed the milk guy, milk boy? Remember milk boy Rebus Walter Walter it was Walter Walter uh, Walter of of Walter and Rebus fame. Um, Walter, you know, go, he went off and killed. Uh, some hosts. Yeah. So you combine those two together, and this is the most extreme scenario you can get of a host killing a uh, human. Word. So yeah, the data that is not being wiped is overloading the decision-making apparatuses in the hosts, causing a failure that allowed for the overriding of their primary rule set. That's that's how they explain this away. Um, and the primary rule set says you can't hurt humans, you have to respond to voice commands, etc., Teresa says the concern with the reveries is that the hosts will remember some of their experiences and act on them. And Bernard's all confused. He's like, acting on a garage? And Teresa's like, uh, yeah, dude, you knew this. Elsie wouldn't get off your back about it. And then Teresa comes straight at Bernard at this point. She's not like, you know, thinly kind of veiling it. She just says, this is either because you fucked up or this is your fuck up, she says, because... Either you didn't write this code or you're getting sloppy and letting this code get into the park without properly vetting it. Right. Charlotte steps in now, you know, and that's the bigwigs getting involved now, the the exec, and says Bernard's negligence is fucking breathtaking. 
and that they're going to have to rebuild all the hosts over the next six months and that he is like fired from scratch. from scratch and that he's fired unless he has something else to share with them in terms of his culpability. So I will say now, I just remembered, this is the contingency plan. Oh, okay, there you go. The plan is to take all the hosts in to rebuild them, but in that process, taking all the information out of them. Gotcha. That 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 didn't register in my mind specifically as the contingency plan because technically Ford could still interrupt it by just saying right going walking out of the room right now and going, "Hey, every single host, delete everything ever." So you know, it's not a great contingency plan, but I guess they figure it's the best they could do because it's very clear now that it's Ford fucking everything up and. I don't know. It's, it's still, like we were saying, not the best contingency plan. Because at this point right now, it is completely in Ford's power to just kill everything. Right. So they're just hoping that they can hold off Ford long enough to bring these hosts in, steal all the data, and then re- rebuild them. Technically, it's not stealing. They, they do own it. They Acquiring do. Acquiring it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it is their property. So really, they're just taking what's theirs. Some, some Something like that. And... Bernard gets fired. And, and yeah, it's pretty crazy. Unless he has something else to share with them in terms of his culpability. He looks at Ford, who has had the same expression on his face the entire time, this entire conversation. He looks kind of excited. It's like a, a shocked... Ex- he's, it's like he's trying to feign shock. Yeah. Like he's like... But he's kind of like excited. It's interesting to him. Right. He just wants to see how it's going to unfold. He doesn't say shit. He just like sits there. So Bernard looks at him because both Ford and Bernard know that Ford is culpable. He told Bernard, "Yeah, let this go. Yeah, let this is my mistake. Let me make my mistakes, man. Come on. Yeah." But Bernard, being the loyal guy that he is, well, for reasons that we know now, he t- says, "Nope, it was all me, and I'm fired." Okay. Okay, buddy. Deuces. Uh, he, he walks out. Um. Yeah, Bernard just leaves. Very frustrating to see him just take it on the chin and go. Yeah, he uh, he's been he's been having some troubles lately with with these nightmares about his child and Teresa leaving him, and uh, and getting fired from his job. Not a great not a great past couple episodes. Not at all. Um, and so how all this works into Charlotte's plan, like I was saying earlier, is now while rebuilding the hosts. She'll have access to all those 35 years of information that she wants, which is inside the host that they'll be examining one by one when they rebuild them. Yeah? You following, Ross? Yes. Cut back to the short black train. William tells Dolores he doesn't regret a thing about their bang sesh. He didn't say it like that. That's more of, that was, that was me writing it like that. Even though he's got Julia back home, he doesn't regret it. He says, I used to think this place was all about pandering to your baser instincts. Ross is like over here just like, don't care about this stupid William and Dolores scene. He's out on it. I don't. He's, he's I really out. don't. He's here for for guns. Not even, no, that's not even true. I'm just not here for William's bullshit. <laughs> it, he, he does. He does suck. Um, he says, yeah, I used to think this place was all about pandering to your baser instincts. Now I understand. It doesn't cater to your lowest self. It reveals your deepest self. It shows you who you really are. He's treating this like an acid trip. And who he really is is a guy who loves robots. He's a robot fucker. Yeah. He says he's never felt this way about a woman before. Juliet She's got, not a woman. Yeah, Juliet got robo-cucked either way. 
Robo-cucked. Juliet has been fully robo-cucked by Dolores. That's when you get cucked by a robot. Yes. While William was sleeping, Dolores drew a painting, uh, as she's wont to do. It's in her loop. But it's not the same painting that she always draws, which is of that kind of canyon with the with the river in front of it. It's it's uh it's more of a deeper, bigger canyon on both sides with a with a big river running through it. Different landscape? Different landscape. Okay. Um and this is what I was saying earlier, how somebody said this may employ the Tron fashions in its in its in the way that it's in it was it was drawn by Dolores. Not a master of art. My my major uh, one of them was Spanish. I, I don't know if I've said that yet, but it was not art. Were you an art guy ever, Ross? No. What's your favorite thing about art? What? <laughs> okay. Anyways, Dolores, uh, the train stops as there are rocks on the train tracks and Dolores is kind of scared and, you know, William's like, oh shit, shit's going down. Lawrence looks out the window, sees the Confederados are behind this. Um, he says that they're worse than Ghost Nation, which sounds bad. Yeah. You don't you don't want to be worse than the guys who are killing people and, and putting their heads on pikes. Well, you don't want you can be them. You just don't want to face against them. So what's the deal with the Confederados? They're just racist? Yeah, they're it seems like they're kind of a militia that's somewhat related to the United States Army, but they're like doing shit down south that's illegal, like kind of going into Mexico and raiding. And I just get the feeling they hate Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I feel like they they really really dislike him. They 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 they're more on the uh, on the on the Confederate side of history, as their name suggests. It's that means Confederate the Confederates in Spanish, the Confederados. Did you catch that when yeah, you first watched through? Very very well buried. I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> it's that one that might be my biggest reach yet. Even bigger than this Josh Turner one I made this episode. I still can't believe you did that. It's truly a, it's truly been a spectacle. Mike was having a good time with it. He said it was it was his favorite thing he's ever seen. And we're here. They're 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 in this little standoff. Uh they pull a teddy, the Confederados pull a teddy, and just pepper the small black train with a Gatling gun. Just shooting it out. Which the armor didn't do. It did a little bit, but it didn't do a lot. It, yeah, they just shred this thing. They, they, this it looks like Swiss cheese. It, they have they have fully shot into this train. They've destroyed the armor aspect. There's they shot a window out, so you know they could go in and raid it if they wanted to. Before they can do that, though, a sliding door opens on one of the cars, and out comes somebody from the train with a white flag of truce. The Confederados call this person a fucking coward. He walks towards them, you know, clomping, clomping on the horse. Um. But they don't know that this is not a living human, but rather the bloated, nitroglycerin-filled corpse of one Slim Miller. Well said. The bloated, nitroglycerin-filled corpse of one swim, Slim Miller. Lawrence here says, Via con Dios, motherfuckers, which uh, means go with God, motherfuckers. And he shoots Slim, exploding him and creating a distraction that the gang uses to escape on horseback. R.I.P. Horse? Uh, so yeah, this move... This thing, we saw him gearing up for this whole, this diversion last episode when he's filling Slim Miller's corpse up with nitroglycerin, but... That was two episodes ago. That was two episodes ago? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Um, this didn't really play out the way I thought it would when it when it goes down, 
he kills like two guys, but mostly the horse. <laughs> and then they're all like mildly annoyed for two seconds before they get up and start shooting. You know what I mean? Like this is a, I thought he that they were all going to die. I, okay. So I am completely on your side and I don't reference my first watch through much, but um, I, I remembered, I was so excited for this scene. I was like, fuck yeah, I love this scene. It's so cool. And he shoots the body and everybody dies. And I watched it and I was like, what the fuck? I thought so, I thought everybody died. Nobody, like, two guys like died. One person, the closest person. Yeah, that was that. I was I was I was. It was still awesome. I love the movie. Yeah, it was. It was. It was, was just, just weird. Slightly disappointed that I didn't get as much death and destruction. I just felt bad for the horse. I, so bad. Yeah. So bad for the horse. That horse didn't deserve that. R.I.P. Horse. I'm gonna miss that horse. This. Uh, they're escaping on horseback. You know, it's Lawrence and uh, William. Dolores and a few of the cronies who well, they end up getting shot. They, all of them except for the the three the three main people here, which you know shouts to them too. They 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 fought a good battle. They they took some of the bullets away from the people we care about. So that's always something I respect. Kind of like Secret Service in a way. During the hot pursuit, okay, yeah, I I really went on a tangent there. What? Ross was just looking at me like, is he going to stop talking? And I didn't. <laughs> so they're in hot pursuit. Uh, Dolores falls off her horse. She like hits her head on a branch or some shit. You know, look forward, look where you're going. No, I wanted to say this is weird. I rewound it a few times to watch, and Taylor, my wife, was was under the impression that she almost hit her head on the branch and fell backwards to avoid it. I was under the impression that she was supposed to have hit her head on the branch and it knocked her off her horse. Now that I think about it, she didn't have like a gashing forehead, which if you're riding a horse... None of it makes sense though, because the horse wouldn't just... It, it Anyway, it just... I think they tried to make it like she turned around last second and, and like knocked her... Got knocked off by this branch, but mm-hmm. it just didn't... Anyway, whatever. It was interesting. So she falls off. Luckily, the Confederados are stormtrooper-esque in their accuracy. So William has time to grab her and, you know, no bullets hit them at all. Uh... Even after they flank the whole Lawrence crew with the Gatling gun and they come on the side and just start shooting at them, their aim is so, so bad. You know what? I had another uh, comparison to stormtroopers in this episode. When the spacesuit guys come in to clean up Mariposa, or to grab Clementine, rather, the way they talk to each other is very stormtrooper-esque. It was. Like, just bumbling They're like, here's another one. <laughs> like, we gotta get this one. Whatever. You know, the way they say things yeah. is just like, yeah. Stormtrooper. The the daywalkers are stormtroopers. Yep. So yeah, the 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 accuracy is is suspect, but you know, it didn't really matter because and in comes Ghost Nation, who are as brutal as advertised. And my favorite part of this is they have this unbelievable distraction of not even a distraction, a a, a saving by these Ghost Nation people who are just coming in and murk the confederados and williams just sitting there on his horse just watching these ghost nation guys just hack people to bits and he's just like sitting there watching it and dolores is finally like uh let's go like dude what are you doing yeah i don't really get what he was thinking there he's just like watching it happen and he just got lost he got lost in the beauty of of caricatured native americans just absolutely slaughtering caricatured confederate soldiers apparently so very, very interesting scene there. Not, not sure what he was thinking. They escape and end up at the location of the place Dolores drew on 
the train. So we got to think that this might be another step further in Dolores' maze, is my theory. That, you know, there's always little waypoints that let you know. You know, she saw the maze on the coffin. She knew she was going the right way. Now this is this okay. came to her. In a, this came to her in a dream, and now she's there. Makes sense. Yeah. So I think I think that this is just a little a little nod to us, like, hey, Dolores is still on the way. And this, sadly, is where Lawrence, Dolores, and William part ways. Lawrence heads out, goes towards war. William and Dolores seemingly are going to head towards these unclaimed territories. And I have to say, Logan would be so unbelievably pissed that William passed up the chance for war. Why didn't he go to war? Well, because he, he, war, he didn't read any war books when he was growing up. So, you know, he couldn't feel like he's really there unless he read a book about it. Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, I figured that's, that's got to be, be what it is. Cut back to the Mesa hub. Maeve is being worked on by her pawn, Felix, and another tech. Felix tells Maeve she needs to stop coming down so often or people will notice something's up, which, yeah. I mean, Sylvester noticed before he was involved in the whole thing, so I'm sure other people are going to notice this. Maeve asks where Clementine is, which is presumably why she is down here right now. She saw Clementine get taken, and she's just like, oh, time to die and go find her. Felix looks up Clementine's location and sees that she's in the body shop. I like the name of that. Yeah, so what is this where you get... This is where you get fixed up. You get fixed up. You got you got things done to you, uh, including lobotomies. Oh, yeah. Because after after Maeve convinces Felix to get him to take her, we see Clem being worked on by Sylvester of all people, with Teresa there watching over him. Sylvester sees Maeve and hesitates because he's like, "Oh fuck, she's gonna get so fucking pissed if I lobotomize her best friend right now in front of her." Um, but he, but he does it because he knows that it's going to be suspicious if he doesn't, as he explains uh, to Maeve later. Why right here wouldn't he be like, hey, that's the robot that's fucking freaking out and trying to make us do stuff. Get her. That's a good question. I think he just thinks she, she'll kill him and he knows how smart she is and how strong she is. Dude, the alternative to him being blackmailed or her killing him, either of which is a bad thing, is robot takeover. <laughs> So I just don't get his judgment here, but whatever. This is them self-preservation. They're, they want to keep their jobs. Tr- truly, that's the only thing keeping either Felix or Sylvester. They think that they're going to get in trouble and that's and, or die. If, yeah. If May finds out, they die. If work finds out, they get fired. So they just need to keep going with it until something happens. Okay. Which Maeve clearly wants something to happen, as we find out in a little bit. Bernard asks to have a word with Teresa. He explains to her that the presentation sucked ass and was very clearly staged, like I said earlier. He's like, I could tell it was staged. I can't even imagine what Ford was thinking. He also tells her that he knows she was behind the stray in his transmissions. So he agrees um, that something is wrong after you know telling her that he knows she's fucking around. He knows something's wrong with the host, and it's related to the connection between memory and improvisation, which is what all this has been about the whole time. The reveries, the Clementine thing, it's all about connecting your past and t- using that to influence your future. That is at the heart of this entire TV show. Because if you can do that, if you're a robot who can do that, what's to separate you from a human? Right. Um, so yeah, Bernard, he says, you know what, Teresa, I'm going to take you to go see something. From there, we cut to Maeve, who is, I've never seen Maeve this mad. As she is fuming. I have fuming written in my notes. Did I say that for a second ago? No. Fuming. 
Sylvester and Felix are trying to figure out what to say to her in order for her to not kill them both. And for some reason, Felix lets Sylvester talk. He's the last guy who should talk. And again, don't they just, don't they have an iPad that can control her? Not anymore. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, they do. Because look, think about it. If they're able to bump up her apercept, whatever the fuck, to 20, why couldn't they just dumb her down hard right here, right now? Yeah, I mean, they could. That's a great question. Maybe, I, I don't, Felix and Sylvester are just doing their own thing. I don't know. They're, they're so scared that they're really not acting logically. Which yeah, that's the part that's just kind of hard for me to buy, but I get it. I guess that's the only argument that they're... If somebody has a better reason for why Felix and Sylvester, or whatever his name is, yeah. uh, are as stupid as they are, please call and tell us. The cold line, 888-6-FREEZE. So Sylvester, you know, fumbles through his excuse massively and ends up saying that he did it for Maeve, which is just the wrong answer. Right. If someone's ever mad at you, blaming them by saying you did it for them is arguably the worst possible thing you can say. And that's a lesson to everybody out there. Uh, if you want to get somebody mad at you, blame your mistake on them. That's, that, that's how you do it. Now, Maeve says, oh, Sylvester, always doing things for other people. Uh, in reference to Sylvester's operation of the host sex ring. In all of this, Sylvester would have been better off telling Maeve that they promised him an extra ham sandwich if he did it. I think I think she would have understood. Absolutely. Or maybe an extra nubile redhead for the VR tank. Yeah. Cuz you know in that she knows men. She says she know she says I know men. She would know that it's hard for a man to turn down a ham sandwich, a moist ham sandwich and a nubile redhead. Who could turn that down? Surely not you. Surely not you. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> so Maeve asks Sylvester and Felix to do one more thing for her. Get her out of there. Yeah. She wants out. She wants to get the fuck out. And Sylvester's like, that's a suicide mission. And then I love Maeve's whole monologue here. You think I'm scared of death? I've done it a million times. I'm fucking great at it. How many times have you died? Because if you don't help me, I'll kill you. <laughs> Such a good line. His explanation that the whole place is designed to keep her there. Is it? That's a good question. I was wondering, like, is there a Lojack inside of them that, like, is there a shot caller type deal? Because if there is, this is all stupid. Yeah, let her go. Let her go. Everybody will be fine. <laughs> just take her out and see what happens. I don't know. I just, Felix and Sylvester, I'm out on them, too. They're, they are... Bumbling. I'm out on them, and I'm out on uh, William. Who are you in on? Number one. I'm in on Maeve. I'm in on Dolores. I'm in on Ford. That's it. I'm always in on Logan. I just want to know where the fuck he is. I miss him. I'm. I, he's on the fence. I'm on the fence with him still. I haven't decided if I'm in or out. Oh well. I need him to be doing cool shit. Yeah, he's 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 not. He was a prisoner last we checked. We cut to Bernard and Teresa. They're going up elevator. Teresa asks if they should bring a security team with them to go, because they're clearly going up into the park. Shouts to the A-team, uh, but Bernard says no, because he doesn't know who can be trusted. Very, very good excuse to use when you want to be alone with somebody for a specific purpose. Yes. 
Teresa then, on the uh, up elevator ride, summarizes her discussion with Charlotte to Bernard. Bernard says, after hearing all this, the longer I work here, the more I think I understand the hosts. It's the human beings who confuse me, which, yeah. Okay. Okay. That becomes ironic. They get off the elevator and are at the cottage where the <laughs> Ford family of hosts live. When I when I I was trying to find out a way to call them that, the Ford family of hosts. And when I I realized finally, Wait, that's where they were. They were in that cottage. The, the 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 Ford family of hosts that Arnold made. I for, thought they were in the cottage Elsie was searching. No, that that was the abandoned theater in sector three. Oh shit! Well, where are the where's the Ford family at? That's Ber- Teresa asks Bernard that she says. Like, oh, where are they? And he says he must have moved them. Oh, huh. But yeah, I was really trying to think of a name. I was like, the the Ford family. And I realized after I came up with Ford family of hosts that I got that because it's a play on Ford family of trucks. It's like, what they, <laughs> that's what they call their truck line. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know. Ford family of trucks. <laughs> so we got the Ford family of hosts who are not in the cottage. Uh, Teresa notes that this building isn't in any survey of the park, which Bernard says, yeah, that's because we use hosts to execute the surveys, and they're, they're programmed to ignore this place, so that this would never show up. Right. The four family of hosts, like I said, isn't there. And then she's like, hey, what's behind this door? And Bernard says, what door? Which, okay, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I, yeah. Dead confirmed giveaway that Bernard is a, is a host. But Teresa's none the wiser, obviously, because it would take more than that, to, you know, more than a little potentially. Oh, yeah. He could have been just fucking with her. But as viewers, it's an immediate green light. Like, there is no other explanation for how he could not have seen that door yeah. other than that he is a robot. Yeah. They go downstairs into a secret remote diagnostic facility that the cottage must have been built on top of, Bernard says. It's an old facility, but has this newer equipment that Teresa points out, uh, including a host printer with a host currently being made on it. Yeah. Very eerie to see it being done just in private. Like so that. the obvious question to take away from what unfolds with this scene is, is that host being made on the table right there, Teresa? So they certainly want you to think that. Uh, we obviously don't know if that's the case because we haven't seen anything happen with that because it yeah. just happened. But the fact that two of the shots of Bernard strangling Teresa are seen with the host in the foreground seems like and the whole time that Bernard is strangling Teresa Ford is looking at the host there's two major cues there that are trying to tell us hey that's Teresa but we we don't know that's certainly is what there's that's the best explanation this hammer that gets dropped on us I'll let you walk us through it as you do and remark afterward okay so yeah, they're down the stairs. Teresa, the way this all happens is that Teresa's like, oh, uh, Ford's been making his own host down here and telling nobody about it. She goes over and sees some blueprints. She wants to just see who these hosts are yeah. on the table. There's one for little Robert, one for Dolores. And then she kind of freezes up. And she's she's like, and Bernard's like, what's, what's, what's up? She shows it to Bernard. And we see that it looks exactly like him. And then... It's a Bernard host. It's a Bern- it clearly is a Bernard host. And she says, he says, it doesn't look like anything to me. Yeah. So she's like, what? And right as she's freaking out, Ford pops in. Yeah. So for, for all of you who weren't 100% certain about this, I thought they made it very clear. Bernard has been a host this entire fucking time. I don't think they made it very clear. There were some hints, some good hints, some strong hints. Oh, I, made, I meant right now they made it oh, clear. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. And I I remember, you know, obviously this is the second time I've seen this. Oh, it blew my fucking mind. I I this the only time I ever knew before Bernard said it doesn't look like anything to me. The the door thing, I was like, I, I think that might have been a clue for me. But the door thing, I went, no way. Yeah, I, th- no I think way. I think I was like, wait. And then within a couple minutes, you're like, oh my yeah. god. When she freezes up and he like is like, what? I was like, no, it's definitely gonna be that. It's like you you you. They did a great job, and I'm sure you first time you you newcomers, you you understand as well. Like, you did not know, and so I, you you, you were never even crazy thought. They never introduced the concept of like, well, anybody could be a robot. Somehow, yeah. Somehow they never, like, obviously. There's there's the opportunity to think that as a viewer at some point could have been like, well, how do we know like X isn't a robot or X isn't a robot? But it never becomes a part of the play in any way, shape, or form. So you're never like that's never really introduced. Yeah. Until, until right it now. Is. <laughs> and then you're like, holy shit. Like if he is a fucking robot. So I don't like this this is I mean it it explains perfectly all of Bernard's behavior. Regarding not freaking out about certain things, regarding his uh, unwavering loyalty to Ford, yeah, it it answers all of the questions that we could have had up up to this point regarding Ford or Bernard this season. But how it, it also answers how Ford knew about Teresa and Bernard's like sexual yeah. things. But the question I have is like, okay, so this introduces the like how many other people could be robots? Is the A team a robot? Ashley Stubbs is he? I don't. I don't know, know, but I mean, I don't know. Uh, is the is Charlotte a robot? Like, what do we? I don't. I don't know. Here's another question. Think now. Was Elsie just killed? And is the host that's being made Elsie? That's another good question because we don't know what happened to her. All we know is she got grabbed. Yeah, she could be dead. She could Getting be not grabbed. Be. Is bad. We know that. But not you don't want to get grabbed. And if you get grabbed by, we we don't even know. It could have been a human who killed Elsie. We're still left in the dark about that. Shouts to friend of the show, Shannon Woodward. I hope you come back. Me too. Please. So let's just let's just go. This is obviously there's a a lot to talk about here in this scene. And we'll I'll just jump right into it. Ford cuts right on in, right as Teresa figures out what's going on, and just talks about how the host cannot see the things that will hurt them. And that's just to drive home. He is a host. Bernard. Yeah, and his expression like blank already kind of as he's standing there hearing all this unfold, Bernard's expression is crazy. It's like, it's just heartbreaking to see him not able to process what's happening, basically. It is. No amount of talking that Ross and I do can do justice to how well this scene was acted out by oh my all three all three players. So oh, yeah. even if you're only watching, like you're listening along with us and aren't re-watching season one, go back and watch this scene. Yeah. It is so, so good. It really is. So Teresa calls Ford a fucking monster, and he responds that she's the one who'd kill all the hosts and their past. He's referencing Charlotte's plan here by saying, you think I'm the monster. You're the one who would go and kill Bernard and all these other hosts. Like he, He's saying right here, I know what you're up to. That's why he's, that's, that's, did you, do you remember that line when yes. he, she called him a monster and he said, you're the one who would, would destroy all this? <coughs> I believe he's referencing... How he knows what Charlotte's plan is to erase all of the host's memories. Which is, I think that's the reason why he goes as drastic as to kill Teresa. Because he knows from obviously that meeting he had with Charlotte and Teresa that that's their plan. 
Right. And he's very, very against that. And he needs a blood sacrifice, as he says later, to get rid of that. <clears throat> Did you have any yeah, other thoughts? Yeah, but the only reason that works, the only reason any of this works, is if the host being created in the room is Teresa or he's already created another Teresa. Because he has to have a Teresa to plug back in. Yep. Right? Yeah, I completely agree. So that, that's another, you know, if you use the context, it's really either... There seems to be a great chance that we see a Teresa host. Okay. Which, ugh. Let's just get, let's just be done with her already. So mean. I don't like that negativity. The saddest part, as you said about all this, is Bernard just struggling to come to terms with being a host. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can't even, obviously you can't imagine what that process even looks like. Mm -hmm. And also, Teresa going like, did you tell Bernard to, come on to me and like start this that's got to be fucking great imagine like you found out that your wife was programmed by some by some dude to be your wife well what what he explains to her though is that she's the one who came on to bernard i know so he's like i'm I'm not culpable for that but i have been spying on everything you two have been doing yes so i mean you know he does have a little bit of leeway in that he didn't sick oh no i mean no no not at all i'm just saying it's funny how he explains that to her I mean, you, like you made the first move. Yeah, <laughs> which you know, obviously, very, very unethical to let that happen. But right. he at least, if you want to give him any little bit of, you know, take a little culpability away from him, he did not sick Bernard. He just made a. Cre- well, the thing is, he did make a creation that looked like Bernard that Teresa was attracted to. So you could say, you know, there's his culpability, but who knows? Um, in typical Ford fashion, when he sees Bernard. In you know, in a bad place, he's mentally in a bad place. So he just powers him down. Just that's enough, Bernard. Mm-hmm. And that's like the final one hundred percent. Teresa's like, oh my god, he is totally a host, and this is not good because now it's just me and Ford and this robot down here in the middle of the park that's not that nobody knows about. I mean, she knows she's gonna she's gonna die. She's, which is. She, she I I don't know if she is. I think she knows when she pulls out the cigarettes. I think she knows. It's over. Why don't you pull out cigarettes? Or not cigarettes, her pad. I was like, sorry. What? She pulls out the pad yeah. to well, attempt to take oh. control of Bernard. I thought she was pulling out the pad to, to call for safety. Because it was more of a phone than a pad, but I'm sure they can control it from their <coughs> from their phones too. Either way. Yeah, so uh, Ford tells this theory to, now he's just toying with her. He's just doing the thing where he's just telling his thoughts to her, and he knows she's going to die, so he's just going to say his little spiel before he she does. He just likes to talk. Kind of like Man in Black. Ford has this theory that he talks about, about how all of human achievement has been peacocking, extravagant displays solely for the purpose of mating. And I think Yeah, that, it's really interesting. I, I never really thought about that kind of theory before, but... What Ford's trying to say here, the way I, what I took from it, is that despite all that humans have accomplished, they don't fully appreciate the beauty that they've like stumbled upon in the act of trying to mate because they're too distracted by baser instinct to appreciate the beauty. And I think there's a lot of parallel there with the park saying, you know, everybody comes here to just fuck these hosts and like they don't understand that I've built this unbelievable thing. Like humans, they, humans are so focused on trying to survive that they're not looking at the beauty of the things that they're creating in the process of surviving. 
Okay. That's what I took from it. What did you take from it? I just took that it, you know, that everything was driven by the need to, the desire to mate at just the base level. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, there's multiple ways of looking at it. But so he, he tells her this theory and then says another theory of his. I have come to think of so much of consciousness as a burden, a weight, and we have spared them of that or spared them that anxiety, self-loathing, guilt. The hosts are the ones that are free, free here under my control. Yeah. Kind of an oxymoron. It's that is that is not free per se, but because, you know, as much as he wants to deny being a God, I mean, what he's essentially stating is that he has created a perfect existence of a perfect version of life. A microcosm, With no will. anxiety, guilt, shame. It is completely under his control. He, I mean, he's gone full on psycho. I will tell you that uh, Ford is a communist. I will decide your freedom for you. You're, you are free and I'm the guy, or more of a fascist, I suppose. You know, it's a freedom based on one guy's idea of what freedom entails. Yeah. Whether that means you're actually free or you're just free to do some things. He is determining what you are capable of doing for yourself. Right. And we obviously see that so much in the show with Ford. He he thinks that he is the guy who should be making those decisions. And he hates if you come in and try to fuck with that. Yeah, he's just so far off the deep end at this point. He's just like, let me have my world. Everybody else fuck off. I do not care what it costs. I will do anything to keep this place. It is mine. Which, again, bodes just terribly for Teresa. And what I what I like about this uh, is Ford's like, hey, you're the one trying to play God here with your little experiment. I'm just trying to tell my stories. The way he's rationalized this to himself, this whole entire battle between him and, and Delos is that he created this park to tell his stories. To, Which to, is just not true. It's just not true. I mean, it might have been at one point, but it's not anymore. He just said out loud to hear they, that they're here compl- completely free under my control. Yeah. He it, just said that out that's loud. That's not a story. That is you being completely trying to play God. That's so different. Yeah, he, he, it's, and he, he can't understand that because he thinks he's he thinks the two are connected. He thinks, he's like, you know what? I'm creating these stories, and in the process of that, I'm creating this amazing world where people are truly free. Right. And you're trying to take that away with all of your crazy experiment of, of, of self-awareness and all that shit, creating artificial intelligence. You know, people who uh, hate the idea that artificial te- intelligence can come and you know, take over the world would like Ford because he's trying to stop people from researching that. Yeah. He's, he's on your side there. Teresa, at this point, still, somehow, has no idea that Ford was behind Bernard bringing her down here. I felt so sad for Teresa when she's like, well, Bernard's not under your control. He brought me down here. And he just, he just flat out goes, he did that because I told him to. Yeah, that was weird that she still hadn't got it. I, it's weird that she's still alive in our conversation. Much less that she still hadn't figured out she was... that. He, She's an idiot. Yeah, and then she's like, she tells Ford, your time running the park, your time running the park is over. Which, okay, okay, Teresa. 
I don't I don't think you or I thinks that's that's the case given given where you are right now and everything that's happening. Ford then comes in and tells the whole story about how the board will do nothing to him. They merely test him every so often, and Teresa is just a pawn in one of these tests. Yeah? <laughs> yep, that's what happened. And can you, like, which is really what we all are, you know? If, if my boss tells me to do something, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. I don't know exactly, necessarily, you know, the overarching goal of this. I just know it needs to be done, and you're telling me to do it, so... I'm going to get it done. So she never really thought about like, why are they sending me to do this? She was told it's because they like her for the job, but she never really questioned it. You know, like she, she wasn't necessarily promised Ford's job. She was just kind of told to do this and, and had some underlying ideas about where the park should go that, that this plan aligned with, but she was never like completely bought into it. She was told to do it by a half naked woman who just banged a robot. Yeah, but what's your point? That I was just bringing up the whole idea of, of Teresa like having no idea she was a pawn. No, I mean, anybody, anybody in that situation would have been... Because I like to think that the exec, having gone through these trials with Ford, apparently they've done this before. They knew that this wasn't going to work. And they were willing to sacrifice Teresa. I'm sure they didn't think Ford would kill her, but maybe well, it's but maybe possible it's to know to what depth he means when he says that they try this every so often. Like, I, I had the, the same thought process you are right now, which is like, okay, so wait, if they've tr- have they tried this exact same thing before? Maybe where he's been forced to kill someone before. Maybe it was Bernard. Yeah, maybe Bernard did this exact thing Teresa did, and then he killed Bernard. Made the Bernard. Wouldn't that just be a weird cycle, though? Like they just know, like, all right, we're sending somebody else down to be killed. But they might not know that. They 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 put, they don't know that the person's a host. Oh, oh God! Isn't that isn't that crazy shit? Yeah, yeah. That's a. I just came up with that theory right fucking now after talking through that whole pawn thing. Holy shit! <laughs> That's that is wild. Maybe maybe Bernard was the old was the old Teresa. Maybe we'll find out. Um, and then we talked about, you know, uh, Ford just kind of six, he's six, uh, Bernard on Teresa before he does that. Uh, Teresa asks if Ford had Bernard kill Arnold and he says, no, Bernard wasn't here back then. Meaning Ford made him after Arnold died, which interestingly means Bernard is younger than Dolores. Fun fact. As a, as a host. Oh Yeah. You talked about Teresa trying to use her phone. Didn't work. Ford's like, I built all of this, you idiot. You, like, you're, I'm controlling this shit. And then he says to Teresa before he's six, Bernard, I'm afraid our guest has grown weary. Perhaps you can help her, Bernard. I still don't understand how the mind control stuff works, but whatever. We even know that Ford doesn't need a, a tablet. He just tells them to do shit and they do it. But he doesn't even have to say shit. Yeah, man, he, he's, he's God. He's he's God. He's my God. I worship Ford. Bernard, for some reason, can you explain this to me? Why did he? Oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna help out Teresa by taking off my glasses, tie, and suit jacket. Why did he do all that first? I think just to show the level of detail to which Ford has programmed his creations. Like Bernard's personality would dictate that he do those things, even if the act he was about to commit was heinous 
That's so insane. That he, that he, that he, and, then, and literally, he, he choked her out for a minute and then went back and put all that stuff directly back on. Right. What a waste. What a waste of time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. We talked about how we see, the, we see the host in that scene a lot, the one being created. We don't know. Maybe that's Teresa. Maybe it's not. And uh, I didn't mention this. The last thing Ford says to Teresa is, and in that sleep, what dreams may come. Obviously, it's a Shakespeare line. It always is with Ford. It's from Hamlet. And it's about the secrecy of death and not knowing what comes with death. It's also a Robin Williams movie. What is Hamlet? What dreams may come. Oh, wow. Didn't know. Didn't, uh, there we go. Shouts to Robin Williams. So Bernard stares down at Teresa with no affect after uh, strangling her. Dresses back up. Heads out. And they just leave Teresa's body there, which was very weird to me. Did you, did you, why do you think they just left her dead soon to DK body there? I don't know. I mean, I get maybe he'll have Bernard come back and clean her up later or something. Or maybe maybe the, the Ford family of hosts is going to clean her up. Maybe when the new Teresa's done brewing in the 3D printer, she'll clean up real Teresa. Or maybe Ford fixed Jock and Jock will eat Teresa like a snossage or a pepperoni. That too. And that's how we'll end the episode. <laughs> roll, roll the credits there. Uh, and that was it. That was... Episode 7, uh, unbelievably insane, a huge turning point. One of the craziest endings to any TV show episode I've ever seen, ever. After I, I watched the, the ending twice, and I, the first time I watched it, I just went, oh my god, that was so fucking good. Yeah. That, I love that ending. I hope you liked it too. I hope you liked the podcast. If you uh, want to interact with us, besides through this medium, with your ears and our voices in your headphones or maybe a speaker you can tweet at us at freeze all motor on twitter where we do interact on occasion with friend of the show shannon woodward elsie you can check out our interactions with her there um i am at jared borslow on everything ross is at wr bolin on everything tweet at us dm us leave comments we want to talk about the show with you we're trying to interact it's a, it's a hard show to work through. You have theories that are great. We have theories that are bad. We can trade those, you know? We want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, you give us your good theories, we give you our bad theories. It's a little, little, trade, off, little trade off. And we're also at Freeze All Motor Functions on Instagram. If you want to get onto the cold line, 888-6-FREEZE. Tell a friend, grow the show, we love you, NPR style sign-off time. Freeze All Motor Functions is brought to you by Grand X Media and hosted by me, Jared Borslow, along with Ross Bolin. Michael Weiner produced the show. Special thanks to intern Garrett, who helped us format and prepare the show, and intern Serena, who does insanely awesome Westworld-themed Photoshop work for us that you can check out on our Twitter, at Motor and Instagram, at Functions. I do not know if intern Serena called into the show. I'm sure we will find that out soon. Stay tuned for that. This show is dedicated. Again, somebody, please, make us intro, outro music, incorporating player piano music, and starting it off with Bernard saying, bring yourself back online. Make it all free to use. Send it into us. Pr- pr- very high definition, you know, for the podcast. Very good audio quality. If you do that, we would be very, very indebted to you. And the last dedication is to the big dong host that Elsie was working on during uh, Contra Paso, the one she was teaching to be a bartender. Found out recently that he is the host who cuts Lee Sizemore off at the bar. The big dong guy. He passed bartender school. And he he came and did that. So, shouts to him. Have a good week. See you back next Monday.